surely not analysis or actual reflection, accounts for an excuse based simply on a woman's sex and not on what she does or is capable of doing. Welcome to Man Unmade, a podcast normalizing the authority and power of women's voices in a man's ear. I have a saying, right, that, that each of us are born with two wings. Mm-hmm. One wing is the wing of grace. Mm-hmm. And that wing is flapping by our side 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is always there with us. Mm-hmm. The wing that we bring into this equation is the wing of self-effort. Mm-hmm. And when the wing of self-effort flaps equally as hard as the wing of grace, then you have flight into the world of unlimited wow. possibilities where anything and everything is possible. Finances. Does that word make you want to cringe a little? Let's try these. Money, bills, debt, taxes, payroll, student loans, car loans, rent, mortgage. Ugh. Are we completely uncomfortable now? Good. That's why Susie Orman's here today. Because Susie, she knows this stuff. She's made it her life. Listen to Susie for a few minutes and you quickly figure out that she's just wired differently. I mean, why would you ever want to try and take on money? But like, she did. And you know what? She won. Somehow, she managed to take the yucky, the sting, the ugh, out of money. Listen to her for a bit and you see that, well, money, it can't hurt us. And maybe it actually can't help us either. It's just a thing. How it affects our lives, that's up to us. Okay, enough of me. Let's let her explain. Take it away, Susie. Okay, actually, before Susie takes it away, one thing. If you're new to the podcast, then I recommend that you follow it in your podcast app and leave us a rating or a comment. And also, listen to the back catalog eh, whenever you want. I'd recommend them all, but this week, go try episode nine with Blair Erskine. It's a lot of laughing. Or Jen Habmaker, episode 11. She's so great. Such great guest. And you can get that at manunmadepodcast.com. Okay, now for real. Susie, you're on. We are back in the pod, back in the Man Unmade podcast today with none other than Susie Orman. This is so exciting for me. Um, it was like maybe three years ago. I don't know. Time flies. Three or four years ago. I'm, it's like a Saturday, I think. And I'm, I'm at my house. I'm chilling. And I get a phone call from the storefront, which was literally like right next door because that's when I live next to my storefront. And they said, um, Clint, do you know Susie Orman? And I was like, yeah, of course. And they were like, well, she's here. <laughs> <laughs> so I get up, brush my teeth and, and tell my kids, keep watching cartoons. I'll be back. And I run over and I get to meet you. Uh, and, and I haven't seen you in person since then, so this is the first time. Ooh. Hi, Susie. Welcome. Hi, Clint. That was a fabulous, fabulous day. And, you know, I still have in our home, we have a little S and a T or, oh, and oh, a K yes. that you had done, right, for KT and Susie. And it yes. sits right in oh, our home. So oh, I no think way. about you all the time, <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> Yes, you just call me your boyfriend. That's fantastic. Oh man, uh, I love it. Um, that is that makes my day to hear that you and KT are so so sweet. That was a uh, such a fun thing. I think I told you this then, um, 
but there was just a certain energy that you brought to the room which Kelly and I both were just like, what in the world just happened? You left and we were just blown away. It was so positive. Um, you kind of can't help but just encourage people and um, just like send people on a positive way when you're around them. I, I don't know where that came from, but you do know. it. It seems like that's everywhere. But you know, what's interesting is, as you know, I have my own podcast, the Women in Money yes, podcast, that's right. as well as the Men Smart Enough to Listen. And about yeah. six months ago, KT started to do the podcast with me. Yes. And now she, and I'm telling you, she's like, everybody's like, Susie, that's the best thing you've done on the podcast since you started this podcast. <laughs> and so it's like KT's becoming a little star in her own right. And I just love that for her. That is awesome. Oh my gosh. And, and, and isn't that the truth? And she's over there, you know, going, see, I told you, I've been trying to tell you for years. I know she kept, for, she'd say, can I do the podcast with you? And I'd say, no, this, this, is, this is my podcast. And now it's our podcast. Like, Get your own. Oh, that's hilarious. And, and now she's doing it. Yeah, and it is. And y'all are just great. You're fantastic. And you play so well off each other. I'm such a fan of both of you. Um, and and let's, let's just talk about that really quick, about what you have done and are doing and all that. First of all, New York Times bestselling author, Times Over. Um, magazine, online columnist, you've been a television host, a writer, a producer, a motivational speaker, um, and one of easily the most recognized um, leaders in personal finance and just finance in general. Um, but it all started from somewhere, right? Yeah. Like it all, it all, it, 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 at some point you were like into money. So I want to back up the tape before we go any farther because I love hearing people's origin story. And of course, this is the Man Unmade podcast, and the tagline is normalizing the authority and power of women's voices in a man's ear, because we live in a world where everything is quote-unquote man-made, and everything's man, 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 and the reality is, wait a second, it's not all men, okay? That's not the, we, that's not the way it works. And so I love to hear women's origin stories, because I think there's a connecting point for other women that are listening, and I think there's a lot of learning lessons in there for men to go, wow, I never knew that, you know, women went through that. Um, um, because we're ignorant. We're men, not all the time, but we, we don't necessarily know. And so hearing your story allows us to, to relate and, and to connect. So anyways, I would love to hear where this all started. I mean, did you, were you just born and just started like cash and checks or what happened? <laughs> it actually started almost 70 years ago now. Not possible. You're not that old. Wow. I will be in, um, on June 5th, I will be 70. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. I That's thank awesome. You. It's like, you know, it's funny is that as you get older, it's like maybe you'll stand on a stage or something and yeah. somehow people will figure out, you'll say something and people will figure out how old is she? And then they applaud. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, why are you applauding? Because I'm 70 years old. What is wrong with this situation? But anyway, it started 70 years ago on the south side of Chicago. Okay. okay. And I was born into a family that really didn't have money okay. as I was growing up. My mom was a secretary and sold Avon on the side. Oh, My sure. father essentially was ill his entire life mm. in and out of the hospital. Mm. And... We really had very, very little money, but mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought, okay, this was yeah. life. Yeah. And 
And as I was growing up, right, I also had a speech impediment and was totally dyslexic. Mm. And the school that I went to, Horseman, okay. graded people back then in the 50s a, mm-hmm. you know, with a reading score. Because I was dyslexic, I couldn't really read. So mm. I always had the lowest reading score in the entire class. And mm. they would sit you according to your reading scores. So I was in the last row, last seat. I was dumb. Everybody knew I was dumb. So I thought, why should I even try? Mm. And that was true my entire life. I thought, I'm never meant to really be anything. So in mm. 1973, when I had four years at the University of Illinois, and I still didn't graduate, because I had okay. to take a language requirement, and I couldn't do it. Mm. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so I left after four years, got in a Ford Econoline van with my girlfriend at the time, and mm. we headed out west to find our fortune with $300 to our name, <laughs> lived on the streets for three months in that van okay. until I landed my dream job, which was a waitress at the Buttercup Bakery. And <laughs> I was a awesome. waitress at the Buttercup Bakery from 1973 to 1980, when I was 29 years of age, making... Wow. a month. Oh my gosh. And then I had this dream of opening up my own restaurant. So I called my mom and dad, who was still alive at that time, and I asked for $20,000 to open up my own restaurant. Mm. And they said, Susie, honey, where are we going to get that kind of money? We don't have $20,000 to our name. We can't do that. I said, I'm so sorry, Mom, I should have known better. Anyway, I went to work the next morning. The people that I had been waiting on for seven years had come in, right? And one one person in particular, right, says to me, you don't look happy today, what's wrong? And I tell him, and he essentially goes back and sits down and tells everybody the story. Before they left, they gave me checks totaling $50,000. What the heck? With on a napkin, I still have the napkin. It says, "This is for people like you to have your dreams come true, to be paid back at ten in ten years at no interest if you can." Uh uh. And I didn't, Glenn. What was I going to do with fifty thousand (laughs) dollars? I had never seen that much money in my entire life. Right. Right. Yeah. I said, are these checks going to bounce like all mine do? And he said, no, Susie, take them down to the Merrill Lynch office and okay. put them in a money market account. I didn't know what a Merrill Lynch was. I didn't know what a money market account right. was, but I did it anyway. Yeah. And I went in, I got the broker of the day, Randy was his name. I told <laughs> him what the money was for to open up my own restaurant. He asked me to sign all of these blank papers. He said, just sign here, sign here, sign here. I went, okay. (laughs) And when I left, he filled in that paperwork to make it look like I was a really sophisticated investor and I had money to lose. Mm. Because of that, he qualified me to do specific trading strategies known as option strategies, which is the most speculative thing you can do with money. To make a long story short, within three months, all $50,000 was lost. Oh my gosh. Now, do you see how you just said, oh my God, what all the listeners should understand is that you have to remember every loss leads you to a gain. Uh Every no leads you that much closer to a yes, because Mm. that happened to me. I sit here in front of you and with you Mm -hmm. as the world's personal finance expert. 
Yeah. But to go back, so now I didn't know what to do because even though I wasn't, I didn't have to pay the money back according mm. to the note. Mm. These people didn't have any money. It was a thousand dollars from one, two thousand from another. I thought I have to do something. I thought I know I can be a broker. They just make you broker. So I put on my red and white striped sassoon pants and a blue silk shirt tucked into white cowboy boots. I was a size six back then. Oh, that's a look right there. That's a whole thing. I thought I was dressed to the hilt. What did I know? And I went into the Merrill Lynch office and Uh applied to be a Uh stockbroker. They had a hundred male brokers. Okay. No female broker at all at the time. Okay. In the Oakland office. So basically what was interesting about that is that they hired me simply to fill their women's quota. And Mm. I was told by the manager, Peter Sansevero, of the Mm. office at the time, women belong barefoot and pregnant. And he would hire me, but he would fire me in six months. Men listening, has anybody ever said that to you? Have you ever been confronted with that Right. Anyway, to go on. So, of course, you know, I'm not a lot different today than I was back then. I said, so how much are you going to pay me to make me pregnant? (laughs) And he said, $1,500 a month. It didn't take long for me to realize that 1,500 times six was 9,000. That was more than two years at the Buttercup Bakery. And I loved my job as a waitress. I actually wanted to stay a waitress or have my own restaurant, like I said, for my entire life. Yeah. Anyway, he hired me, and again, to make a long story short, while studying to be a financial advisor, Mm -hmm. I realized what my broker did was illegal. Mm. Obviously, filled out paperwork, whatever. I ended up suing Merrill Lynch while I worked for them on the advice of somebody else who worked there. Because I sued them, they could not fire me. By the time the case came to court, I was their number six producing broker. Oh my so goodness. Peter went on to another office. A new manager came in. He looked at it and he said, this is ridiculous. He gave me back all $50,000 plus 18% interest. I was then able to pay everybody back. And that was the start of Susie Orman. Good grief. That's insane. Uh-huh. That's a movie. Uh, that is a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I know is the Warner movie Brothers coming? wanted to do an entire sitcom on that. <laughs> a sitcom? A sitcom about it. Wow. Um, That's funny. I said, I don't know. I didn't think it was so funny. I was going to say, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, why? That's more like a, like a uh, you know, West Wing drama or something, you know? Um it shows you how much TV I watch. I mean, I watch a lot of TV, but not the right stuff, because that's my only reference for drama, West Wing. <laughs> what, why is that? I have no idea. So, okay, I've seen the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. All right. Was that accurate? I mean, here you are, you're one woman in out of a hundred male brokers, and you're the one woman. And I, that's, you know, I, first of all, I just want to talk to you because I just think you're so amazing. And again, you just have this amazing energy and, and you have so much to say, but I also wanted to know, I mean, here you are, let's look at the financial world. That's a man's world, right? I mean, yeah. like if you look at it from the surface, so is that right? Like, or is that a correct view of it in, in, in the Wolf of Wall Street and all of that? And what has that been like for you as you've navigated that and, and risen to the top? Yeah. You know, 
Clint, I had two things going for me mm-hmm. or against me, however you want to look at it. Sure. Not only was I a woman, but I was a lesbian. You're right. And I was a right. lesbian my entire life. Mm. So I was just, you know, I didn't think twice about it. Yes. Um, so anyway, during those days in 1980, and after I was hired, they started to hire other female brokers. Okay. What was interesting is that all the women brokers and many of the secretaries mm. were expected to sleep with the male brokers. It was mm. just part of what was expected from Jeez. you. Yeah. At birthday parties, I'll never forget this because every Tuesday at, at 4 o'clock, you know, there would be a sales meeting, sometimes at 1 p.m. because, you know, that's when the markets on the West Coast would close. Mm-hmm. And we would all gather in the sales room and all of a sudden a female stripper would come in. <sighs> and I'd be like, is this really happening? Right. Right. Or I'll never forget Peter standing up there and saying to everybody, men, forgetting I was in the room, of course, men, the first time you sell a private placement will be better than the first time you ever, and he wanted to say, after Uh a woman, right? Yeah. Uh And Uh all of a sudden he looks at me and I said, I finished his sentence for him. Mm. And he went, oh. Then what happened was that they had a new sales manager come in who really had a reputation of you had to sleep with him in order to get new accounts. If you wanted to get somebody who had money, who came in, it had to go through him. Mm. His name was Mike. I forget his last name. And I walked into his office and I said to him, listen to me and listen to me closely right here and right now. If you ever... Yeah. Treat me in a, or approach me in a disrespectful way. I am going to cut your pecker off. <laughs> and I said it loud enough for everybody to hear. Yeah. And then I walked out of his office. Yeah. And you could see the phones going from one office to another office because it was all glass. Yes. With everybody telling him what I said. Yes. Wow. And what was so sad is that I was the only woman he mm. didn't do that to. Eventually, all the women, and there were probably about 20 now, got together and we literally called in the authorities to tell them what was going on in the office of Oakland Merrill Lynch. Now, this isn't about Merrill Lynch. For those of you who maybe have an account at Merrill Lynch or whatever, this isn't a statement anymore on Merrill Lynch. But back then... Yeah. It was very, very difficult. But the good part about it was because I was so proud of being a lesbian. Sure. And I was winning every possible contest at the time. Open up this many money market accounts. Do this, do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That they would always say at the award ceremony, bring your spouse. Yeah. So I went into the manager, the new manager now, who is mm. such a great man. And I said, I don't have a spouse. I have Mm. a significant other. He said, well, your initials are S-O. How about if we just start telling everybody, bring your significant other, and we'll all know that's about you. (laughs) And I said, okay. (laughs) So because I was so comfortable in who I was, and I wasn't afraid to say no, I wasn't afraid to say, if you violate me or even verbally violate me, you're going to pay the price. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
that gave me my strength to continue on in the financial world as I left because it really wasn't a whole lot different in many ways all the way up. Oh, yeah. And I, so I want to know this because now, all right, we're going to leave Merrill Lynch and go on to the next phase. But before we do that, you have this confidence, Ooh. right? I mean, there's 2021, 20, counting you, women in this in this office. And for whatever reason, you have this confidence to say, hey, if you so much as look at me funny, I'm grabbing the scissors and you're not going to like it, right? And and so where did that come from? Also, you're a lesbian and and like you said, that's been your whole life. Was that always accepted? Like was your family accepting and is that your story or did you have to overcome anything there? And so where did all this come from? Well, to tell you the truth, so it came from my father who was abusive. Mm. Mhm. And because he was abusive in many ways, mm -hmm. um, what was interesting about that is it gave me an inner strength to say no. Mm. No, nobody's going to hit me again. Mm. Nobody's going to whatever. And it came from there. Wow. And, and even though as I grew up in my younger years through high school and through college, I always thought everybody was so much better than me. Mm. Really, I thought... They were prettier. They were smarter. I never got a grade, I don't think, above a C in college. Wow. Wow. You know, like I said, you know, I had dyslexia and I never did well that way. Mm -hmm. But I just, I don't know. I had this thing mm -hmm. and this fight in me, kind mm -hmm. of a fight that I was going to survive no matter what. Yeah. And it was interesting. And no, my mother and father never accepted the fact that I was gay. Okay. My mother pretended to accept it for mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. She loved KT. She never loved any of my girlfriends until she met KT. Mm. And she loved it, but I could tell she never really, really accepted it. Yeah. But that didn't matter to me because mm. I knew how happy I was and I knew what I was doing was right. And I was happy. Yeah. So if you're happy, how can you be doing something that's wrong? Yeah. And so really back in the 60s, you know, and the, the early 70s, actually, when I went to college, mm -hmm. I had a gay women's house that I started where we had meetings and I was very instrumental in going to college campuses and separating. They had gay liberation then where men and women met together. And it was like, no, gay men are very different than gay women. Mm. Even today, men are different than women. Mm -hmm. And so I started this whole thing of the gay women's house and I went to different universities to give talks and at, you know, at, at parades and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So, wow. you know, I loved my life. Yeah. And, and, and that's so interesting that that came from such a dark past, you know, I mean, abuse that, that you were able to find a love for life. Um, how long did that, and I'm asking this because I think there's going to be people that are listening to this who are either going through that or, um, are just coming out of it. But how long did that abuse have to continue before you finally said, I'm out of here. Well, you know, I actually okay. was out of there at the age of 13. Wow. And at the age of 13, I had such a crush on this girl who I'm sure is, you know, is not gay, but I haven't spoken to her in all these years. Her name uh -huh. is Susie Kaplan. 
And I was so crushed out on her, I can't even tell you. And she had a huge house. And she had like this entire like almost floor to herself. Okay. You know, she her parents obviously were quite wealthy. Mine were not. Mm. And I stayed over there almost every single night. Wow. wow. And I did that for really almost years. Mm-hmm. And my heart broke when... You know, we never did anything. We never kissed. We never did anything like that. But I sure Mm. wanted to. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't spend, believe it or not, a lot of time at the house. And at this point, my dad really was sick and not very strong anymore and everything. Mm. And so everything kind of stopped when I was in high school anyway. And as now I was strong enough to stand up and say, I don't think so. But right. anyway, yeah. um, so, you know, I found my own way at that point in time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, light always comes from dark. Sure. You know, you have dark every night when the sun sets. And, right. And then it even can become light at darkness when the moon rises and the right. sun rises. Yeah. And somehow... You know, I don't regret any of that that happened to me, you guys. Because all of that happened to me. Mm. I'm the Susie Orman that you see today. I'm the Susie Orman that can relate to those who weren't smart in school, that didn't grow up with money, whose parents really weren't you know, able to be possibly great parents because they could barely survive because they didn't have the money. And they were dealing with their own illness and my mom's own stuff that she went through with my father and, and all of this stuff. Yeah. And because of all of that, I have all this compassion Mm. for those who have less and those who want more and those who have gone through stuff. And I really don't have a lot of interest in those who are seriously wealthy and they came from a lot of money. I mean, (laughs) the the stars that have come to me to say, will you do my money for me? And I was like, no. Not interested. Yeah. Anybody can do your money for you. Doing money is easy. Hmm. Relating to who you are and what you've been through is a unique thing on its own. But that's why I also, when I went to college, I, um, you know, I majored in social work. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Because, wow. you know, it was people needed help. So you and didn't, you didn't, you didn't major in finance or no. anything. Did you minor in finance? Anything? No. <laughs> Did you take a financial course? No. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I failed accounting three times. Well, That's there another you go. story. <laughs> you could be the world's personal finance expert too. <laughs> because being, this is important, what qualifies one to really become an expert when it comes to money mm-hmm. is understanding who people are more than what they have. Sure, sure. Because right? money can't do anything without you. So what makes me so mm. different is I always look within people's souls to see why they're doing without. That's such an... I love what you just said. Money can't do anything without you. That is... Um, I want to unpack that for a second. That That is like a really very important statement because it's like, yeah, we do look at like money as like this thing. It's this power. It actually has no power. 
<laughs> we by saying that you're like literally taking the power away from money and you're putting it in the hands of the people that hold it. Yeah. Wow, that's if, amazing. If you were to take out a $20 bill or you were walking down the street mm-hmm. and you dropped a $20 bill, mm. it cannot scream to you, Clint, Lisa, come back, pick me up. <laughs> yeah. If you don't go out and work for money, yeah. nobody's going to pay you. So you're the one who works for money. You're the one who gets a paycheck. You are the one who decides, do you save it, spend it, do you waste it? What do you do with it? Money on its own cannot do anything without you. Mm -hmm. So the real key is, why don't you do that which you know you should do with money? Why Mm -hmm. do you spend money you don't have to impress people you don't even know or like? Mm -hmm. Why do you do that? Right. Which is such a, like, that's that's an interpersonal thing, right? Like, that's this, why do we do it? Why do we think we need to uh, look like a certain thing or act a certain way? I mean, it goes even beyond money. And that, yeah, I mean, that's this is where we start getting into some serious uh, therapy. Yeah, that's why, <laughs> money really, therapy. you guys, I just did a course um, okay. called the Three-Step Reset. Mm-hmm. And it's like $27. It's not okay. a big deal on any level. And if you went to suzyorman.com slash hope, yep. you could get it. But okay. the three-step reset is about how do you reset how you think, feel, and act with money? Because mm. I can tell you, you can never fix a financial problem with money ever, ever, ever. Mm. And wow. so until you understand why you make the decisions you do with money, until you understand that fear, shame, and anger are the three internal obstacles to wealth, all mm. the financial advice I could give you in the world won't do you any good because you will not be able to implement it. It will be like a cookbook yes, right? that has all this, these recipes in it, but if you don't use the recipes, what good is the cookbook? Tell me, that's, that's such an important statement, too. You can never fix a financial problem with money, yes. <laughs> which is like, that's, you know, it's like, what? Um, so give me an example, you know, because in my head, I'm like, I can think of some of my own, but like, where's an example, like a real life example of someone that's like, well, I'll just throw more money at it and yeah. that will work. So there's a stat. Most people who claim bankruptcy once claim twice. Hmm. Most people who get out of debt Mm -hmm. get right back in debt. Mm. Now, why is that? Why is that? It's, you know, you have all this credit card debt, and now you put all this money towards the credit card debt, and you're totally out of credit card debt. But in another six months, you're right back in. Yeah. You can't fix a financial problem with money. The real question there is, why do you spend more than? And, mm-hmm. the sim- and the answer to that really is very simple. You spend more than when you feel less than. Mm. Mm. You try to feel, fill yourself up with something you can buy, a car that will impress the person that you stop next to at a stop sign yes. as they look over and go, wow, look at that car. Like it really matters. Yeah, right. Matters, you know? Yeah. So. People tend to define themselves by the cars they drive, the homes they live in, the clothes they wear, the jewelry they have, Mm. you know, the schools they send their kids to. Sure. None of that will define you. Your money will never define you. You have to define your money. It it, it seems like it always goes back 
to this like self-validation and self-worth and, you know, approval, like seeking approval um, from other people. Like this seems to be a very deep and rooted problem that actually causes so many other issues. And it just gets worse and worse and worse because we just look for more and more approval. And when it doesn't come through the channels that it maybe should come from, we start looking for other channels. And so that's when we start, you know, one channel is a line of credit. (laughs) And ooh, that looks good. You know, $5,000 line of credit from Visa. Sweet. I can get some approval here. Look at the feeling, the endorphins that are going to like pop off in my, in my body and in my brain, when I roll up to my family's house and I have this new car or I'm wearing these new clothes for a minute, they're going to go, Whoa, look at this guy, you know? Wow. But then what? Then that feeling is gone. They're over it and you've got debt. (laughs) That's right. So over the 40 years now that I've been doing this, these are the, some of the lessons, Mm -hmm. just some of them that I've learned on such a deep, deep and honest level. And that's why I always say, you know, the true goal of money is for you to be secure. Hmm. The true goal of money is not necessarily for you to have all of this money and be able to buy all of these homes and do all of these things. Mm -hmm. The goal of money is just for you to be secure. And whatever it takes for you to be secure is really what you need to do. And I can tell you the most important thing for everybody to do at this point in time to be secure is to have at least a 12-month emergency fund. Mm. We should have learned that from the pandemic, Mm -hmm. that people who were making $200,000 a year were standing in food lines. Yeah. And why was that? They were standing in food lines because every penny they were making, they were spending. They never thought that they would get sick or lose their job or something Mm. like this would happen. Mm. So true security starts with knowing you're in an accident, you get ill, you're fired, there's a pandemic, whatever it is, that you can pay your essential bills that have to be paid every month for at least a year without you having to worry. And that's an important note. So what you're saying, a 12-month security uh, plan or, or whatever. Um, what you're saying is if you make $75,000 a year, you're not necessarily saying you have to have $75,000 in savings. You're saying what would, what do you need to pay the bills and your groceries in and whatever to float yourself for a year? That's like right. ha- and have that as an emergency fund. Yes. But, but it's, what are the expenses that are essential? Going out to eat is not essential. Not essential. Going to the movies is not essential. Going on a vacation is not essential. Giving birthday gifts, holiday gifts, wedding gifts is not essential. Yes. Essential is your rent, your mortgage payment, gasoline in the car to get to work, Mm. food at a grocery store to feed yourself, your insurance premiums, your cell phone, because most likely that's the only communication you have. Right. Cable right. is not necessarily essential. Yes. Right? Whatever it may be to get you through 12 months of bills that you have got to pay. Yes. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. That, like a, a crisis fund, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And so the best way, obviously, that's different for, for different people. And it will take some people a lot longer to get there because they are making such small amounts of money at at the job. And of course we have, you know. Maybe yes, maybe no, Clint, because I found a long time ago, 
I was doing the retirement planning for Pacific Gas and Electric, which okay. was the utility company for Northern California. Mm. And they had early retirement. And for years, they hired me to do all their retirement planning for them for their entire company. Mm-hmm. And so thousands of people would come and see me. Yeah. And what I learned from all of that is those people who were making serious sums of money, they had mm-hmm. millions of dollars in their 401k, their monthly pension was going to be like $13,000 a month, Good grief, yeah. could not afford to retire. Mm. Because they had three homes, they had two boats, they had five cars, they had this. Their overhead was so much that they mm. couldn't afford to do it. But those who were making, you know, a pension of $2,000 a month, mm-hmm. those who had $400,000 in their 401k, they could make it easy. Yeah. Because their expenses were hardly anything. So yeah. it's not how much money you make. Mm. It's what do you do with the money that you make? And people who tend not to make a whole lot of money also tend not to have a whole lot of expenses. Mm. Right. It's, it's an interesting thing. So I learn from that, Clint. Yeah, no kidding. You need to learn from that because as your life goes on, I mm. hope, and I hope you've already seen this, you will be making more and more money. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that money? Are you going to choose to buy a bigger home? Mm-hmm. Are you each going to have your own new car? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Or are you going to continue to live your lifestyle that you've been living and take this money and invest it mm-hmm. so it truly builds an extraordinary financial future for you? Right. So that when you turn 70, you don't have to care about anything. Yes. You never have to work another day in your life. Yes. I, I think another thing that, that motivates me is not wanting to be a burden to my kids um, or anyone else. You know, that my wife and I, we've done what we need to do um, so that it's like maybe even we're able to then bless them as we, you know, move off into the sunset and, and whatnot, as opposed to my kids going, what is going to happen if this happens to mom or dad? You know, like they don't, you know, and, and that... That motivates me because I want them to be able to live their life and not worry about yes, mom and dad. Yes, but what you yeah. also want from them, and I'm just going to give you some very friendly advice here. Give it. I, that's what I'm here for. Here we go. <laughs> Regardless of how wealthy you become, and I pray that you know God showers grace and everything upon you you know, for your efforts. I wish that for every single person in the world. Mm-hmm. But you have to know that your kids have to make it on their own as well. Sure. That when you're making it and you have all this money, you may then tend to say, I'm going to pay for their college education. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And then what you've passed on to them, not just privilege, you've passed on to them, listen closely now, the burden of them having to do that for their kids as well. Mm. And Mm. what if they aren't as successful as you may become. Hmm. And -hmm. what if they can't do that? Then they're going to find themselves in a situation where they feel like they're really bad parents because they didn't do what their their Hmm. parents did for them. Mm -hmm. So out of all the very fabulously wealthy families I've dealt with, Hmm. most of them make their kids pay for everything on their own. Wow, wow. They make them become strong on their own. They make them know that they can do it 
on their own. Because once they know that they can do it on their own and they've done it, then later on, okay, yeah, doesn't matter. But don't take away their ability to know that they have within them what it takes to be whatever they want to be. And not that they're something because they're a trust fund baby or not oh, because yeah. mommy and daddy are really famous and here you go. You know, uh, you're making uh. me feel even better about the birthday present we just gave um, to my son. What did you give him? <laughs> well, we basically gave, we gave him a pathway to a new computer at the end of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> A financial pathway, pathway uh, uh, that like here, if you do these things and like whatever, we will we'll pay this much because you don't have a job, you don't make you know any money, but you can work and we'll provide opportunities for you and um, and you can earn the money for this uh, and we'll take care of the rest. And it was it's essentially like we're giving you a pathway to that thing that you really want. We're not just going to like plop it down in front of you, although we could. I could just go out. I could go to a yeah, store fabulous. and grab a computer and, and here you go. Congratulations. Uh, just because you said you want one and you need one for high school, which is coming up. But instead it was like, um, you know, here's a, here's a pathway to one. <laughs> I love a financial pathway. You should write a book on that. Um, you know, even in my own family, KT in particular has many mm-hmm. nieces and nephews. Okay. And two of them, Sophia and Travis, have grown mm-hmm. up with us. So Sophia must have been just born when I came into the equation, and Travis was three. Mm-hmm. So Aunt Susie started to take over at that time. Okay. And the rule was laid down that nobody could ever buy a gift for one another, ever. Okay. okay. That if we were going to give birthday gifts or holiday gifts, you had to make a gift. Oh, I love it. Yeah. You had to write a letter. You had to do something. And that is true to this day. So mm. Sophia, who's now, I think, 21 or going to be, right, just wrote us because it's her mother's 60th birthday coming up. And she wrote and she said, I know what we can do. Let's all recall the funnest experience we ever had with mom. And let's write it down with a picture and I'll make a book out of it and give it to her. (laughs) That's awesome. To this day, these kids are responsible with money. These kids are fabulous students. Yeah, And these kids know they have what it takes to make it on their own, and they know the difference between a need and a want. Yeah. Fabulous. Sure. sure. Oh, gosh. That's a hard lesson to learn, too, sometimes, because, boy, those wants, they're strong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody. Man Unmade was created to amplify women's voices. And early on, we decided that beyond each interview, we also wanted to highlight women in business and music. So in each episode, we'll take time out to turn you on to a new business you've maybe never heard of and a singer-songwriter whose music we think you should try out. The music will come at the end of each podcast, so make sure you keep listening after we've wrapped the interview. If you're listening now and you happen to own or work for or have a friend with a business, or if you know of an artist or you are one, shoot us an email to contact at manunmadepodcast.com. But the spotlight on women's businesses is right now. All right, this week, the spotlight is shining on an artist, and her name is Jala Sadravi. Uh, That's J-A-L-E-H-S-A-D-R-A-V-I. She has a website, jsadravi.com, J-S-A-D-R-A-V-I.com. Okay, so I'm on her Instagram right now, and I'm looking at her make a piece of art with what looks like drips of paint on a canvas Uh and a, a squeegee. Yeah, 
like a window squeegee. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. And oh my gosh. That's pretty cool. How cool. This it's also just like one of those things. So I don't really get um pulled in by the like the stuff that it's like you know, people whispering on the internet, you know, and you listen to someone whisper it's as they as- like do their How hair. Asthma, ASMR, ASMR, ASMR. Yeah. What? Yeah, like I don't, I don't know. Like Kelly and I found that stuff on YouTube one night, and I was sort of like, "Yeah, this is weird." Okay, I wasn't into it. This, I could just watch her like wipe paint on canvases all day. Look at that. Yeah, I feel like I went through all of her videos one evening. It was just like, yes. it was like so soothing. It's so soothing. This is amazing. Okay. Holy cow. All right, folks, go check her out. Um, her Instagram is the Art of Jala, which is spelled um, J-A-L-E-H. All right, so the Art of Jala. Go follow her on Instagram. She also has a website. Um, you can check that out, um, and that is J-S-A-D-R-A-V-I dot com so jsadravi.com um or maybe it's j sadravi sadravi i think yeah maybe sadravi yeah so j s a d r a v i dot com go check her out um she's a multimedia artist um she has beautiful photos that she's taking but then she's also got all of this um uh abstract and watercolor and acrylic art that she's doing and it's just unbelievable it's hard to explain that she's scraping paint down a canvas and when she's done it looks like people and they're like either like standing close together or or like hugging or like holding hands it's crazy lisa what the heck i know i watched her do the one i guess it's like people gathering or holding hand and she has like the little line across and you're like how would this make that before she scrapes it and then you and when she's done it's it's really beautiful don't you want to just be like how did you come upon mm-hmm. that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, did did you just accidentally, accidentally scrape something one day and then be like, oh, crap, look at that. That's cool. We'll do that again. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, listen, Jala, just amazing work. It's so beautiful. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, I'm really honestly taken aback. And I, I, I love creativity. And Jala, you are just such a poster child for creativity because um, you're doing something that is so unique. Um, I don't look at that and think, "Ooh, that's kind of Van Gogh or Picasso or blah blah Rembrandt, blah 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 blah." You know, it's you don't you just look at it and go, "Oh, that's a Jala." Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like the coolest thing, right? Like to be able to look at somebody's work and go, "Oh, that's a," you know, and say their name. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's her. Thanks, Lisa, for finding Jala. Totally. She's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Great work. Keep it up, Jala. We love your work. Life is too large to hang out a sign for men only. Barbara Jordan. Okay, so now I, w- I want to back the tape up a little bit. You've left Merrill Lynch because um, we, we said we were going to get back to this, and I do want to hear the rest because, you know, you've left Merrill Lynch, and it's not like the patriarchy is dissol- dissolved yeah. <laughs> at this point. So, so what happens time, next? And this is a long story, right? But... Um, I left Merrill Lynch in 1983 to go to work for Prudential Based Securities at the time as a vice okay. president of investments. Okay. And I was there for three years until 1987. And then I started my own firm, the Susie Orman Financial Group. Okay. And basically from 1987 to 1994, 
I saw clients, I was doing great. And then I had this idea that I wanted to write a book to impress my clients. Okay. So I wanted to keep a book because I specialized in retirement planning. Okay. And I wanted to write a book called Keeping Your Gold in the Golden Years. Hmm. <laughs> and so great. I was, you know, um, my girlfriend at the time, her name was Cynthia Odie, had right. invited me to this party that she was having. And right. I showed up at the party and there was a woman by the name of Linda Mead, who was a book agent. Okay. And so, so we're talking. I said, oh, I always wanted to write a book. And she said, well, what would it be about? I told her and she said, we can do that. And I said, we can. She said, let me see. Well, again, to make a long story short, she took it around to every single publisher. This is 1994. And not one publisher, major publisher, was interested in a financial book by a woman. Not one. So she then took it to her friend, Esther Margolis, who had a publishing company called New Market Press. And Esther said, if Susie's ever in New York, let her come by and I'll see her. I, I happen to be in New York a little bit after that. I go to see Esther mm-hmm. and I'm telling her my story. And she said, stop. She invites the entire company into her office. I tell everybody the story and she buys the book for $10,000. Mm. I said, you're going to pay me $10,000 to write a book? I said, and I get copies to give my clients? She said, yes. <laughs> So what I didn't know is that after she published the book, there were only 15,000 copies first run. She was going to send me on a 27-city book tour. Ooh. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? And she said, Susie, I know if people see you, they're going to buy this book. Within two weeks, all 15,000 copies had been sold out. Good golly. And... And that's in 1994, you said, right? That was 1995, the book came 95. out. 95, oh my right? gosh. And somehow I ended up on QVC because uh, right. I was on Q2, which was another channel of theirs. Okay. Which, and, and I had sold out like 100 books. That was mm. it. But mm-hmm. I was the only author who had ever broken the QVC barrier because you can't demonstrate a finance book. You can only mm, demonstrate cookbooks, and cookbooks are the only books that sell on QVC. Yeah, right. So then they put me on QVC, and I was selling 15,000, 25,000 books in an hour. Jeez. Wow. Right? Killing and it. And then, right, you know, that was the start of everything. And it just went from there. And it I, went I, from there, and the next book was The Nine Steps to Financial Freedom, yes. which was a book that lit this world on Fire! It would sell a million copies a month in hardback. Good grief. Wow. But wow. even then, so I just have to say, 1998, it was the number one selling nonfiction hardback book of all nonfiction hardback books. It wow. sold equivalent to Stephen King's fiction book. Good And grief. according to Publishers Weekly. Wow. When Business Week in 1998 published. It was number one on the New York Times bestseller list on every list for a year. Mm-hmm. When they published the top 10 books, finance business books, yes. do you think there was one book by a woman on that list? Mm. There was not, including yes. mine. Good grief. Oh, so wow. that just shows you that even in 1998, the bias was there. Yeah. Also, 
Then the men did not like what was going on. The finance mm. author, not authors, but the writers and that, and they started to attack. Mm. Because the nine steps to financial freedom, the subtitle was practical and spiritual steps so you can start, stop worrying. Mm. Article, Susie the Floozy, what does emotions have to do with money? And they attacked. Wow. And even some people, as time went on, on CNBC, as I would be there, and now I'm really getting known, would yeah. come up to me, this one person who's still on CNBC to this day, said to me, so you still hawking your books on, C on QVC? Uh-uh. Right? Wow. And I just looked at him, and you know, all I could do was look at him and I say, are you that jealous that I make more money than you in one hour than you're making all year here? <laughs> I said, is that, is that what's really, you know, bothering you? Right. Well, so, and, and how annoying that like, if a man is selling that many books or doing that, he's the shit. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, like, isn't that the truth? I mean, like, and you're, meanwhile, you're accused of hawking your books. Yeah. So it was, it was an interesting, it was interesting. Right. Right. And so, you know, that's kind of how I started. Did, and, did the, what about yeah. the TV world? What was that like? Because obviously now you're, you're not just mm -hmm. writing books. You're not just like calling people individually and setting retirement plans. Yeah. You're actually a face yeah. that is being broadcast. So, so what was that like? So what happened there is like I'm appearing on CNN all the time. I'm appearing sure. on other you know, networks just as a guest and things. And everybody was kind of interested, but nobody ever followed through. Mm. And then one day I got a call from CNBC. Bill Bolster was the head of CNBC then, and his wife, mm -hmm. his wife said to him, why is Susie Orman not on CNBC? Mm. She's on Oprah. She's on Larry King all the time. She's right. all over the place, and she's not on CNBC. You need to give her your own show. So I go to visit Bill Bolster. Okay. And I say this with the utmost of respect because I really liked him. He was not your most politically correct man. Okay. Mm. And I was equally smacked down right to him because I didn't care. Yeah. Right. So we were then out to dinner and, and his wife was with us. And they were telling me how he had invested his money. I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I said, I would never invest money like you invest in money. And she's saying, see, Bill, I told you so. <laughs> and he said, Susie, if you're not careful, you're not going to have a show. I'm not going to give you anything. I said, Bill, I personally don't give a damn. <laughs> right? That is awesome. Right. So... <laughs> Um, so it was, it was things like that. Yeah. And then I did the CNBC show for the entire first year, not under contract and not with a paycheck. Oh. Because I didn't like the contract, and I thought I was worth more than that. So I said, and I didn't need the money. Ah. And so I said, I don't care if you don't pay me, I'm going to do it anyway. Turned out to be, at the time, their number one rated CNBC produced show. Uh. At the end of the year, now, of course, they wanted the show, and now I had them. Mm -hmm. So mean, now totally they had, had to pay them. me exactly what I wanted, mm. and they had to pay me that for the year that I just did. 
So the point of all this, in a very succinct way, is yeah. when you are secure, you have your emergency fund, you are totally out of debt, you've been putting money away for, for retirement, you're living below your means but within your needs. Okay. You're getting as much pleasure out of saving as you do spending. Okay. And you're doing all of that. Then you have this power within you because you don't need to make that sale. You don't need that show. You don't need that book contract. You don't need it. You may mm -hmm. want it, but you don't need it. Mm. And when you come from a place of not needing something, even though you want it, mm -hmm. you're then powerful and people can feel that power. And when they feel that power, they say yes to you. Mm. Mm. And so that's the power that I've carried through my entire career with me. Even, and I'll just say this quickly, even for my big book contract, which started with the nine steps to financial freedom, mm -hmm. you know, it was a lot of money. And I went to Chip Gibson, the publisher at the time of mm -hmm. Crown Books, who got that book. Okay. And I said, I got to tell you something. I said, number one, I don't know how to write. And number two, I'm a lesbian. And I don't want to have to lie if somebody asks me, and I don't want you to pay me this kind of money for a book mm. and me possibly not make that money back for you. Yeah. And he said, Susie, we all know that you're a lesbian. Tell us something we don't know. <laughs> and then he said, finally, an author who knows they don't know how to write. <laughs> <laughs> but what was fascinating is I wrote The Nine Steps to Financial Freedom in a month and a half. Oh, my and goodness. it needed very little editing mm -hmm. because I just write like I talk. Yeah, sure. Just that simple. Who knew that's how you do it? You know, one of the things that really strikes me about um, your story, I think a lot of people, they could listen to that and they, and, and they could go, well, that was really lucky. Or, you know, oh, well, you met this person at a party, you know, a, a, a book agent. Well, I mean, a publishing agent. Well, I mean, lucky you. And I'm like... I would just as quickly go, yeah, but you had to actually do something with those opportunities. Some opportunities maybe came your way or whatever, but there's a lot of work that you put into it and you, and you had this confidence of like, you know what, if I just try it, if I do it, I believe in myself, I'm worth it. I'm worth um, this investment in myself and going for this, um, you know, because I think how many other people has that publishing agent met? right? Like that publishing yeah. agent, she's met a lot of people at parties, right? I mean, and how many of them have become Susie Orman? Well, probably not many, uh, <laughs> none of them, you know? And so I think that that just goes to the point of like, you know, you are in control of you and you, the opportunities that come your way, you can either choose to put in the hard work and do something about it, or you can just kind of let it, oh, I met a publishing agent today. I've always wanted to write a book, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like, let's go. I've always been wondering, I've always wanted to write a book and look at you now. Yeah, you know, I have a saying, right, that, that each of us are born with two wings. Mm -hmm. One wing is the wing of grace. Mm -hmm. And that wing is flapping by our side 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is always there with us. Mm. The wing that we bring into this equation is the wing of self-effort. Mm. And when the wing of self-effort flaps equally as hard as the wing of grace, mm. then you have flight into the world of unlimited wow. possibilities where anything and everything is possible. Oh, I, I know for sure one thing. 
I know I'm not the doer. I know Mm. it. Mm. And I know that if I can just, and I pray for this every single day, Clint, Mm. can I just be an empty vessel? Can Mm. I be an empty vessel so that God's words can flow through me? And may people hear that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's what I am rooted in. And I am so proud that I'm rooted in that. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that. Yeah. And so I believe that not only am I carried by the wings of grace, I believe everyone is carried by the wings of grace. And so that. you just have to put forth the self-effort. So that's going to lead me into this last little segment here. I, I could talk to you for so much longer, but I know you got tons of stuff to do. Um, and uh, so I, I was going to ask you, um, we'll have to say this for another day because I can't keep you forever. I was going to ask you what the hell is Bitcoin um, so, that, <laughs> so that I could just like understand because I feel like such an idiot. I literally have no idea about any of that, but we can, I guess, save that for another day. Um, I'm just going to tell you there uh-huh. is a law of money. It's better to do nothing than something you do not understand. Mm. There will be plenty of time for you to understand it. Mm -hmm. Everybody has FOMO right now about Bitcoin. (laughs) They do. And that's what it's like. I, you know, but if you listen to one of my podcasts, I think it was in February of this year, you'll find it. Um, I do an incredible explanation of Bitcoin and okay. what I think about it. Okay, everybody. So there you go. We're not going to go into it today, but go back February podcast um, from Susie Orman and you can learn about Bitcoin. I'm going to go and listen to that just because I really am like curious. I just, I don't, I just don't get it. SNL did a, a thing recently where they were like, um, I think it was on Weekend Update and, and they brought somebody on. They kept going, Right. Okay. But what is it? Yeah. What is Dodge? What is <laughs> yeah. the Dodge? Yeah. The, yeah. The Dogecoin. Yeah. Dogecoin. And all, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. It was with, um, what's his, his yeah, Elon name? Musk um, and it fell Elon 47% the next day. Oh, did it? Oh, did it? Oh, it most certainly did. Oh, no way. Wait. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right. Moving on now. Oh my gosh. That's really uh, fascinating. Okay. So I've got some rapid fire questions for you and I, and I'm going to switch them around because one, it, it's perfect what you just said. You have the wing of grace, and then you have the wing of effort, and I love that when they're both flapping together, and and you just try and try and try, and if you mess up, that wing of grace is there to to keep you going, you know. Yeah. And oh, just I love that. That's beautiful. So, let me say, let me ask these questions, and if you're like, eh, I don't want to, you know, answer that, you can skip it. That's fine. But here we go. If you're comfortable saying, what is the biggest mistake or decision you have made, and how did you overcome that? Ooh, that's a that's a big one. Um, you know, I could say to you little things like I leased a car, mm-hmm. or I sold Apple too soon, right? yeah. <laughs> or, or something like that, <laughs> right? But right. I think the biggest mistake that I made was not having faith in who I was, mm. not having faith that everything really does happen for the best. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I knew my own thoughts and I did have faith that everything does happen for the best, mm-hmm. that anything really of importance started to happen in my mm-hmm. life. I love it. Um, okay. What is the worst financial advice you have ever received? <sighs> I haven't really taken financial advice from... Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Right? That's awesome. <laughs> I had just come into all this money. Okay. Right. 
And I went to see the serious CPA who dealt mm -hmm. with all these stars. And the first thing I wanted to do was pay off the mortgage on my home. Okay. And he said to me, do not pay off the mortgage on your home. We want you mm. to have a tax write-off and everything like that. And I said, okay. Mm. And I got up and I walked out. Mm. And the reason that that was the worst financial advice I had ever received is because he didn't bother to ask me, how would I feel if I paid the mortgage on my home off? And if that's what would have made me feel secure, which is the goal of money, then that's what I should do. Mm. And so not everything about money is about how do you make more money? What do you do that's financially the best thing to do? Mm. The goal of money is for you to be secure. So what do you do with your money that makes you feel as secure as you possibly can? So that was the worst advice I ever had. Don't pay off the mortgage on your home. Okay, so I love that because that's actually, and I'm gonna get, I've got two more questions and we'll get to those, but really quick, I wanna make a comment on that because that's something I've talked with Kelly about and we've you know kind of wondered back and forth about different things. And it's like, if you do ever see a, a, a sum of money where you're like, oh, okay, wow, I could like do something with this, you know, yeah, should you pay off your student loans? Should you pay off this? And because some people say, no, 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 don't do that because those are low interest rates and all that. And then I'm like, but wait a second, like that makes really a lot of sense to me to just pay it off because now it's done. And then if something catastrophic happens or whatever, you don't have this monthly payment over your head. And I can now, that monthly payment that I'm making, I can make it to an investment or something, right? Yeah. I mean, like- So is, student loan debt is the most dangerous yeah. debt you can have. Mm -hmm. So before you would pay off the mortgage on your home, you would mm -hmm. absolutely pay down your student loan debt. Okay. After your student loan debt is paid off, mm -hmm. if you know that you're going to stay in this house mm -hmm. for really the rest of your life, then okay, start to pay down the mortgage so that at least you know by the time you retire, mm -hmm. the mortgage is paid off. But right. you know, Clint, I just have to say, this has been a very difficult year for me. Mm. On July 23rd, it will have been one year since I was in a 12-hour operation. Mm. And you can read about it in People Magazine or go online. It was all over the place. Mm. And they had found a non-cancerous tumor, but that had cut off 90% of my spinal cord. Oh, my gosh. I was I possibly no not expected to live. And I was probably going to have a life-altering operation and come out probably a paraplegic, oh if gosh. not a quadriplegic. Wow. Okay? That didn't happen. I'm still having problems with my left arm, but it will be okay. Okay. By God's grace, and nobody could believe it, mm. those two outcomes did not happen. Mm. But the reason that I say that is that it can happen to anybody. Mm. And if it happened, and let's say that did happen, you know, and you didn't, you weren't Susie Orman and you hadn't had all the money. Mm -hmm. And now you have a family and you have mortgage payments, you have student loan payments. You, what mm -hmm. are you going to do? Yeah. So you always have to plan for the worst and really hope for the best. Mm -hmm. Every single one of you should have a living revocable trust and a will and an advanced directive and a durable power of attorney for health care. Mm. 
Yeah. So yeah. there, you know, I just want to say this because so many of you, all you care about is Bitcoin. Which stock should I buy? <laughs> what should I do? Yeah. Well, what you right. really should do is take care of your family first by making sure that the mm. must-have documents, is, which is what I call them, are in place. Mm. Mm. That's so good. Um, I love hearing that advice. Um, okay, moving on to the next questions. Um, uh, oh, really quickly, actually, you said that student loan was the was the most dangerous kind of debt you could have. Can you tell me why that really yeah, is really quick, and then I'll move on to the question. Okay, currently, and maybe that's going to change with this administration, we'll see, mm -hmm. but currently, student loan debt is not dischargeable in bankruptcy in 99.9% .9 of the cases. It is ah. the only loan. You can, you can bankrupt your mortgage, your IRS debt, Every oh, kind of okay. debt except a student loan debt. Now, can you just tell me what kind of sense that makes? That is besides the point. So yes. there are still people who write in to me from the Women in Money podcast that are mm. 67, 70 years of age, and they still have student loan debt. Mm. Right? So wow. your number one Got priority it. is to get rid of student loan debt. But Elizabeth Warren and possibly President Biden may do that for many people. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yes, absolutely. What we're all waiting. It's going to be really interesting. Um, okay. What is uh, the best financial decision you've ever made? To live below my means, but within my needs. Mm. It was back in um, 19, oh, when was it even? I can't even remember now, but you know, around 1997. Mm -hmm. And I was on the Today Show all the time and blah, 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 blah. And 1998. And at that point, the Nine Steps to Financial Freedom book really hit. Mm. And so I could have afforded a multimillion dollar penthouse on Park Avenue in New York. Mm. But instead, I chose to buy a $240,000 apartment on 57th Street because that's all I needed. That was gotcha. it. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's when I learned the lesson, when do you buy what you need versus what you can afford when mm. you can afford more than what you need? Yeah, yeah. All right, so you should listen to that and think about that. That's My entire good. life until a few years ago, I never had a house that was really bigger, you know, than 900 square feet. Wow. And then yeah. I met KT. And then we moved into an apartment that was 1,200 square feet. Mm. And, and, and so we always lived below our means. You mm. know, I still, to this day, my car is 10 years old. <laughs> I love my car. <laughs> love it. Right? So now, obviously, I live on a private island mm -hmm. and all, but, but, you know, now I'm 70. I can do what I want to do now. And yeah. that's where we've built our thing that the entire family can go live there as we all get older. Right. So yeah. I built a family compound for everybody. So well, That's fun. That's, yes. yeah, that's awesome. I'd love a family compound. Right? <laughs> I want to come to your family compound, actually. Never um, know. Katie may say, come on, we need you to build a greenhouse for us. That's what she said yeah. earlier. I'm, I'm, there you go. I'll bring my tools. I'm ready to go. Um, okay, last one. Here we go. What is circulating right now? Um, what's currently circulating as the worst financial advice out there that you would like tell people, do not listen to this. People are saying this. Don't do it. Yeah, there's one person in particular who is telling everybody to buy rental income. 
Hmm. Doesn't matter how much debt you have, whatever, you have to buy rental income. Okay. Also, many people are saying, use your student loan money and buy Bitcoin. Get uh, into cryptocurrency. Okay. Uh, you know, and really though, for the general public, the worst financial advice that is out there hmm. is to use a life insurance policy as a place to fund your child's college education. Uh-huh. The worst financial advice any of you could get is to buy a universal, variable, or whole life insurance policy in most cases. Okay. The next worst vice, advice would be to buy a variable annuity, especially within your retirement account. Okay. So it's really important, everybody, that you understand you're never powerful in life until you're powerful over your own money. How mm. you think about it, how you feel yeah. about it, and yeah. how you invest it. There's a friend of mine who just sold her company, okay. and she has millions of dollars right now in the bank, and she's scared to death because mm. she doesn't know who's going to give her the right advice. What does she do? She was so much happier mm. when she didn't have that, and she had the company and had a major income every year. Mm. That yeah. amount of money is rendering her powerless because she did not take the time to learn how to invest her money. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, well, okay, I'm ready to come to the private island anytime you're um, ready for me to build your greenhouse. <laughs> Kelly and I and the kids, we, we're, we can help when we're there. Like, we won't just mooch off of the situation, oh, okay? trust me. You can put us to work. She won't let you. I, I don't let you. <laughs> And you won't want to. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, you won't want to. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, we would love to. Okay, everybody, you've got to check out um, Susie's podcast. So you got Susie Orman's Woman, Woman, excuse me, Women and Money podcast. Um, and then, of course, you are on social media. You're on at Susie Orman Show. Um, you've got your own website, SusieOrman.com. And on there, um, obviously, all the resources and whatnot are available, but you do have your courses, the three-step reset and the nine steps to financial independence online course. Um, you can find all that on uh, SusieOrman.com. Do I have all that correct? You have all that correct. Um, and, you know, again, just check it all out, everybody, especially the podcast. And like your podcast that has that subtitle to it, yes, my ma'am. podcast subtitle is And the Men Smart Enough to Listen. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yes, right? So it's women right. and money and the men smart enough to listen. Oh, I love it. That is, uh, that's it. Well, I just can't tell you how thankful I am that you would take your time uh, to talk with me. And, um, you know, again, the time you took uh, a few years back to stop into our little shop there on 15th Street here in Waco was uh, just a, it was not just a day maker. It was like a week, month, year (laughs) maker. You just spread so much energy and love in those few moments with us. And uh, we just really appreciated it. And, uh, and we just love you and KT and, and appreciate what you're doing and, um, yeah, what you're putting out there. Thanks, Thank you so Clint. much. Thanks, Give my love to Joanne and Chip. And I'm I really will. serious. You know, there's all kind of makeovers people can do. So oh, yeah. you just never know. Hey, hey, there's room for you on Discovery Plus. I'm sure you know. Oh, I'm sure there is. Your your buddy will find some. Uh, your buddy David will find Zaslav, some. David eat your heart out. Yeah. I'm not doing it. <laughs> oh, that just makes him want to assign you even more. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> you're funny. just killing him right now. 
Well, thank you so much, and and tell KT she can get back to chopping whatever she was making in there and uh, all that good stuff. All right, and thank you so much, Clint, and and tell Kelly I and the kids I said hi. Lisa, you take care of yourself. If you ever need anything, I'm just an email away. Thank you so much, Susie. And you 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 take care of yourself. We'll be thinking about you, and uh, really hope health wise everything starts to level out and uh, not be such a rough time for you. You've you've come through a lot. Oh, God's holding me firmly in his hand, so I'm not worried about anything. Good. All right. You're the best. All right, sweethearts. Susie Orman, folks. Um, I love her energy. I've loved her energy since she came to Waco and visited um, our shop, which was just a shock in and all of itself. Um, uh, But Kelly and I talked for days and months and really years after we've brought that up so many times about just her energy and how magnetic um, she is, and um, she just really believes in what she's saying, and um, I think that's so valuable because when you really believe in yourself and you believe in what you're saying and your message, um, you can really do some powerful things, uh, especially when that message is a good one and an encouraging one. And Totally. Um, well, her story definitely helps back up why she has that confidence yes. and why she is able to be the way she is. Totally. Oh my gosh, 100%. A wealth of knowledge. Definitely taking mental notes as she was speaking. I, I feel like that should be like um, the, her next book, A Wealth of Knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's a financial book somewhere out there. Probably, yeah. I, I'm not that clever, but it just sounded good. Uh, okay, you know what? The quote that is going to like stick with me forever what money can't do anything without us yes that was a good one Oof. she said that and yeah i just i think that i've just money has literally it, it is it's like taken on in my life over like the course of like 43 years there have been times where money felt like a like a living breathing thing that could like control me or mm-hmm. um like could determine whether or not I live or die almost. You know what I mean? Like it, yes. it, it can almost take on a... I mean, that's for so many people. Sure. That they still have that, I'm sure. Yeah. And she's like, oh, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, but what did she say? Finish the quote. Wait, money can't do anything without us? Yeah, but then it takes the power away. That's what you were saying. Oh, oh, well, oh, I, did she say that or did I say that? I can't remember. I think I said it. I so love that you said that. Yeah, I'm not trying to slap myself on the back, but I honestly cannot remember <laughs> if she said something <laughs> after that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, um, I, I just absolutely love um, what she uh, was saying. And I love that she also was like, okay, Clint, you need to listen to this. Okay, you need to listen. Yes. This is, I need you to hear me. And it was like, yes, ma'am, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what this podcast <laughs> is for. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, my goodness. So, and her podcast, Susie Orman's Women and Money and the Men Smart Enough to Listen, genius. Perfect. It applies to our podcast. Yes. Um, men listen to Susie yeah. and all of our guests. <laughs> That's exactly it. All of and our to guests. Me. No, I'm just kidding. A hundred percent. Listen to you. Um, Oh, I mean, it's just, it's so great. And um, I I just, I think, yeah, men be smart enough to listen to women. Um, It should go without saying, but 
my goodness, it doesn't, right? So um, we're saying it. Be smart enough to listen to women and uh, listen to Susie Orman. My goodness, she uh, she's great. And I think also, Lisa, like what's great, because financial stuff, I think it can go kind of a lot of different ways. I mean, lots of people have different opinions on how you should like, you know, manage your money or whatever. And so one of the things I love about Susie is she's really confident in what she has to say. And I don't think she's also like, I don't think her feelings are hurt. If you listen to her and out of 10 things that she, she says, you go, you know what? Seven of those I agree with. All right, great. Yeah. You know, like yeah. she doesn't need you to agree with her or whatever, but like, listen, exactly. yeah, have an open mind and uh, really learn some stuff. I didn't know that about, um, you know, student loans and you're not able to declare those in a bankruptcy. Now, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. It's like, I pray to God, I never have to declare bankruptcy. I'd never want to do that or have to use that tool. But that being said, like how interesting I had no idea. Right. Like, yeah, uh, that's really fascinating. So anyways, really just goes to show when you uh, listen to someone, you learn stuff. Thank you, Lisa. You're giving me the whirly wrap it up arms. Yes. Yeah, it's true. I, I just, I love Susie and I like talking about her. Yes, you know? she was great. All right, we're done. That's it. Susie, thank you so much. You're the best. Thanks, Susie. This week, the musical spotlight, it's shining again on Case Watson. There's a reason for that. A couple, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to them in just a second. But today's track we're going to listen to is Clock Ticking. It's a single that you put out in 2020. And uh, it's really good. Case is awesome. After actually we played her uh, the first time, she was so sweet to uh, share on TikTok. And she just is hilarious. It made me love her even more. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Isn't she great, Lisa? She's, she's awesome. She's super fun. But yeah, the last track we listened to from her was Fall You in Love. Um, that yes. we highlighted. And um, great track. You can go check it out again. Yeah. But today is clock ticking. And she did um, do a really funny TikTok mashing up our um, words and putting it yes. to her reaction. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, keep it up, Case. We're big fans. Everybody go to her website, www.casewatson.com, uh, and you can find her on all the socials at the Case Watson at the Case Watson. Um, okay, so like I said, there's a couple reasons. One, we just love Case, and her music is awesome. But also, we need and would love to have more musical artists to highlight. So please, if you know of uh, a woman in music um, who has an album out or is working on an album, is trying to get her music out there, we would love to highlight her. And so if you will help us out by sending us an email to contact at manamadepodcast.com. Thank you, Lisa. (laughs) It's almost like you knew I was going to go blank because I was like, wait, what is that email address again? I was waiting for it. All right, uh, Case, we're so glad we get to highlight you again. Um, You are awesome. Keep up the good work. Everybody, enjoy some music. Until next time. Man Unmade is produced, organized, researched, and generally held together by Lisa Collins. Audio production and original music by Jackson Palomino. I'm your host, Clint Harp. Thanks for joining us on Man Unmade. Let's listen to some music. Bye, friends.